Hello, Vision Nation. In this week's episode, we're going to cover the story of one of Stan Druckenmiller's biggest investment mistakes. It was a mistake that cost his fund around $3 billion. We'll also cover the most important lesson that George Soros taught Stan years ago. Welcome to Wall Street Vision. This show is on true stories about markets and top investors. I'm Vlad Dolgochev. This show is for informational purposes only and is not investment advice. Check out the show notes for the full disclaimer. Before I get into the story, I want to give you a quick overview of Stan Druckenmiller. He's one of these Uber investors who's really highly regarded in the industry. He had the incredible track record of having over 30% returns for 30 years with zero down years. That's an incredible rate of return. To put that into perspective, the S&P 500 index, which is the big index that a lot of performance is compared to, had a return of around 10 or 11% per year when looking over the long term. Stan's 30% per year is super impressive. If you would have invested $10,000 with Stan for 30 years, that 10 grand would grow to over $26 million. Just mind-blowing numbers. The other really impressive thing about him is that in 2009, he was the most charitable person in America. Which means that he donated more money than anyone else in the country. The guy is a money-making genius and has a good heart. Now let's get into the story of his big $3 billion loss. So earlier in his career, Stan worked at Pittsburgh National Bank. He later worked under George Soros for a time, and he also started his own hedge fund called Duquesne Capital. The interesting thing is that he started in stocks, then went on to currencies and bonds, and went back to investing in stocks again later on in his career. To me, it really looks like he just wants to invest in wherever he sees the biggest mispriced opportunities. I'm just glad that I started in equities because to me, you need a bunch of arrows in your quivers. And I was murdering everybody in the 90s because of bonds and currencies. And I can't keep up with these tech managers making 50% a year by just doing macro. But I've been in equities myself. For Stan, it's important to have many arrows in his quiver, which means being able to have expertise in a few different areas so that if opportunities in one area dry up, he can move on to opportunities in other places. Our story takes place during the dot-com era of the late 90s. It was a time of massive economic success in the U.S. When the bowl drops on the year 2000, it will be a momentous event for the world and for the U.S. economy, which is closing in on its longest expansion ever. The decade has been marked by strong growth, the lowest unemployment in a generation, and yet remarkably little inflation. So the economy was on fire and everyone was making tons of money. The Nasdaq tripled from 98 to early 2000. It was a time when everyone was getting into day trading. Your Uncle Bob car mechanic was making 20% returns a week on stocks that had the flimsiest business plans. 
Since 1920, recessions have occurred nearly twice a decade. But since 1991, the economy has expanded in what's about to break the record as America's longest boom. If anything, the economy is speeding up going way faster since 1995 than once thought possible without sparking inflation. Low inflation has led to low interest rates, an ideal environment for stocks to soar. Two, three, ten, three, ten. And soar they did, the Dow nearly quadrupling since the expansion began. The question though, has the economy changed for good? Some people thought that this was a paradigm shift where stocks would keep climbing for years to come. Other people avoided this craziness altogether and didn't invest in these high-flying tech stocks at all. Stan Druckenmiller was good at following the momentum. He rode the tech boom in 99 and made a fortune for himself and for his investors. He sold his tech company positions in January of 2000, thinking that the market was getting way too overheated. I don't blame him. If you look at the NASDAQ index chart, it went exponential around that time. In January of 2000, after riding that tech boom to a T and making billions of dollars in 99, I sold everything out in January. Stan sold out of his positions, but he was working with a few portfolio managers that didn't sell. These guys were making lots of money doing the same stuff that Stan was doing only a few weeks earlier. Just picture what that was like for Stan. He's a star portfolio manager, he sells his positions, and then these guys sitting next to him are still holding on and they're making money hand over fist. And I had a couple of internal portfolio managers at Soros who didn't sell out and they had these, it was a smaller portfolio, but they made 30% after I sold. And I just couldn't stand it anymore. I'm like watching them make all this money every day. And like for two days, I'm like ready to pick up the phone and buy this stuff back. And, you know, there's a little devil there. And then the angel and she's saying, don't do it. And he's saying, buy it. And um, I pick up the phone and I buy them. I might have missed the top of the dot-com bubble by an hour. I ended up losing $3 billion on that trade alone. I had made more the year before, but, you know, $3 billion is a lot of money. And it was all because I got emotional and dropped every tool of discipline I've ever had. He bought the stocks back at their peak and was stuck holding these positions when everyone else jumped in to sell. The crazy thing about this is that Stan was very aware that he wasn't making a logical decision. It was an emotional decision. Somebody says, well, what did you learn from it? And I just said, I learned nothing. I learned that 25 years ago. So you can right. talk about not being emotional, but it takes incredible discipline to, to act on that. So the crazy thing about emotions is that they can affect anyone. No one is immune to this sort of stuff. Here's a veteran super investor that had something like 25 years of experience at that point, and he still got caught up trying to keep up with the other investors. That's one reason investing is so hard. Not only do you need to make accurate predictions about the future and figure out what a company is worth, but you also have to avoid these emotional traps all along the way. I want to dive into another one of my favorite lessons from Stan. Before I do that, I'll quickly mention that if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe using your podcast app. And if you know someone who would find this content valuable, please share this episode with them. 
So the other really great lesson from Stan that he learned from George Soros is that it's not really about being right, but it's about how much money you make when you're right. This is something really interesting, and it makes total sense. His point is that if you're a great forecaster and you can predict where companies and industries are headed, you can still have average returns if your position sizes are too small. I was lucky enough to work for George Soros, and that I can put in a nutshell, which was it's not how much, it's not whether you're right or you're wrong, it's how much money you make when you're right and how much you lose, you lose when you're wrong. This reminds me of what Phil Fisher said in his book. Basically, if you're doing all this research and putting in hundreds of hours of effort into figuring out a potential investment, and after doing all of that, you see that there are good odds of making a solid return, Stan's recommendation is to have a good-sized position in that investment. If you only invest $100, even if you triple your money, you'll only end up with $300. So having enough skin in the game to make it worthwhile is important. There's one example in Stan's career where he did all this analysis and figured out that the Deutschmark was likely to go up and that the British pound was likely to drop. Stan went to George Soros' office and pitched the investment idea. I'll never forget, I walked into his office and told him the fund at the time was $7 billion, that I wanted to put a $7 billion position on um, long, the, long the Deutschmark and short the pound. I explained my reasoning to him which I thought was very sound. He looked at me with like the most disgusted look and I was getting angry just with the, with the body language feedback I was getting. And he said, uh, look, um, you only get an opportunity like this. This is a one-way bet, maybe two, three times in your career. And you're just not betting enough. Uh, we shouldn't put 100% of the fund in this trade. We should put 200% of the fund in the trade because the most you can lose in it is a half a percent and you can make 20% in it. So your risk reward is tremendous. And he was constantly, I was shocked when I went there, he was not as good as predicting security prices to me, but he always seemed to make a ton of money because he would size his positions accordingly. George Soros sounds like a fun boss to work with, right? Can you imagine pitching an idea to your boss and him agreeing with the idea, but still finding a reason to be disgusted at you? That would make for a really rough time at the office. One more thing that I love about Stan's philosophy is that he talks about how in investing and in life, you've got to find something that you're passionate about. Investing is a super competitive game, and if you want to win at it, you've got to have the passion that's going to take you that extra mile. In terms of a profession, um, I was extremely fortunate to be in a profession that in my 20s, I'd go to work at six in the morning, I'd come home at 11 at night, not because I was trying to make a bunch of money, I just loved the business. There's nothing I found more exciting than what I described earlier is this gigantic puzzle um, where you try and predict how things are going to evolve in the world and how security prices might respond to them. So I know it's like a cliche, but a lot of cliches are there for a reason and you've got to be passionate. And if you're coming in, in the investment business, I promise you, if you're coming into it 
just kind of because it looks like the best financial return to you, but you're not all that passionate about it, you're going to lose. Because every time you make a trade, you're trading against somebody who is passionate and probably working harder, and you'll be behind the eight ball. Some great advice from Stan the Man. All right, Vision Nation, that wraps it up for this episode. If you've enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button. And if you know someone who's interested in investing, please share this episode with them. Thank you so much, and I hope you have an amazing day. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. I may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast. This show is copyrighted by the Wall Street Vision. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.